Welcome to Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. The original podcast that goes painstakingly through all Scooby-Doo media in search of those to Scooby-Doo absolutely or Scooby-Don't under any circumstance. I'm your host, Billy. And I'm your host, Amelia. And we're watching Silver Scream. the interesting thing is about this episode, that part of it is the exact plot of Lego Scooby-Doo Haunted Hollywood. Yeah, I'm beginning to notice some striking similarities in all new Scooby-Doo media that comes out in that they are 100% out of ideas. It's it's that we're, we're feeling pretty dry, and it's just the fact that that, like that happened in between seasons, right? So that, theoretically, was being developed at the exact same time that the Lego Scooby-Doo team and the Be Cool Scooby-Doo team both had, like, classic Hollywood stories lined up. And the gist of it was, oh, this studio has not been good ever since the heyday. Maybe that's actually something to say about Scooby-Doo. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's a little Hanna-Barbera in-joke there, being like, whew, you know, ever since... Ever since the old days, we haven't really got that shine, have we? I think personally that these types of stories really go to show that general tastes change. Yeah. And that if you're one fucking white dude that's hanging on to the old guard way of movie making because you think it's just better, maybe it's time you go to hell. <laughs> That wasn't quite how I imagined you ending that sentence, but in, in retrospect, you couldn't have ended it any other way. Like, a movie that is made today is not worse than a movie that was made in the 30s, just based on the merits that it's modern. Mm-hmm. Like, the things that, that they're bringing in here, I mean, the problem that this episode has, is that someone is literally trying to smash those things together. You know, elements of the past and future coming together, making something not quite as good as either. As the Mighty Boosh would say. That's not where we first start. At first glance, uh, I'm pretty sure we're watching Kevin Smith work. <laughs> we're seeing uh, 90s Kevin Smith, that is. Yeah, before he was huge, but before he had a heart attack and had to not be huge. No, he's, he's quite thin nowadays. He's frail. But uh, that, that's what we get at first glance is... Uh, not not a director, but a film restorationist working on film in the editing bay for a silent movie star. Yeah, this this has the gall to say that every movie made past the point of when talkies were invented <laughs> has been shit. Now, are they saying yes. that? Yes. They're saying Actually, this, that is, this studio... No, you are correct. That is specifically what they say in the episode, isn't this it? This studio is gone downhill since our silent movie star left and we went to talkies in the 1930s. That's a hell of a thing to be saying in like 2018. How has this studio survived if everything past the silent era has been trash? Yeah, it's almost like people that idolize Charlie Chaplin need to go to hell. I also, okay, here's the thing. I, I love lost films. I love the idea of, like, discovering these lost films and restoring them back to how they should have been presented, getting them out there as a part of film history. 
But the idea that it would be a blockbuster hit is insane. You find me a lost Buster Keaton short, you're not gonna be playing that at the Megaplex. You're gonna be lucky if you sell, like, a bunch of, of very well put together, nicely packaged Blu-rays. For film fans, for, for people like me. The big ol' nerds. But not the, not the mainstream. There aren't gonna be people there being like, well, we could see the new Fast and the Furious, but you know what's also playing? Marx Brothers. They got a new hit. Seven minutes of a dude that, like, always stands right where a window's gonna fall when a house collapses. You gotta see it to believe it. Aw, shit, brah. Have you seen the train arriving at the station? I saw that shit four times. Within a half hour period. Premise. The ghost of a silent movie star returned from the grave to stop his last but unfinished film from being released. This is the other aspect of the equation here. It's, it's the, the moral dilemma of lost films, that this film specifically was lost because the creator never wanted it to be seen. It, it was intentionally lost. I didn't know that we needed Chaplin versus Weinstein as a story, but that's sort of what we got. Both like to rape minors, both, so... Both not good. Both bad as men. I think they've got more in common than you think. <laughs> Alright, uh, yeah, your premise for this new Odd Couple movie is, it's got, it's solid, but I think it has some problematic elements. We're gonna have to not greenlight this. Oh, and yet I'm the one that's at fault, not the two that were raping minors. <laughs> no. Uh, on that note, who do we want to start with? Uh, I have nothing for either of the men. Really? I uh, That's who I have the most for here. I don't know if they're valid notes. Probably not, because you just write down no. garbage. Well, okay. I've Sometimes a... you just write a single word, all in capitals. Because I'm with... very excited about that concept. With a question mark beside it, and it's like, someday... I swear to God, on one of his notes, he just wrote MASK, all in capitals one time, and it was like, yes, Billy, that's the core premise of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> There's always a fucking mask! That's, I will admit, you look at Amelia's notes for this podcast, and they, there is, like, sentence structure there, it is clear cues for what Amelia wants to talk about, mine are vague suggestions, in a scrawl, but, for Fred, I'm gonna start with the Fred factor, he finds a notebook labeled Archie's Notebook, and he exclaims, this must be Archie's Notebook! And that was a classic Fred move. You know, Fred doesn't normally find clues, but that's at a level that Fred can find and put together. Look, I found one! Precious himbo. Uh, he also, continuing the himbo energy, tries to save a woman from a falling piano, uh, but ends up simply ruining a shot because that was a stunt. For a, for a film, you're on a movie lot. Shouldn't they be filming indoors then? Why are they filming outside on the lot? This stunt should be coordinated indoors to stop anyone from wandering through on the tour group it should from ab- getting yeah. hurt. I'm fine with it being shot outdoors, but should it be a closed set? Absolutely. There's no way that the gang can just wander in here. It's not like this is the golden hour. Why they gotta be outside? They're dropping a piano on something. Natural light hits different. That's, you You know, and you they, spilt all, they spent I mean, all this time on a back lot. How much smog is in that city? 
Three. Three? Three smog. (laughs) Yeah, that's too much smog. Yeah. It's a scale of three. Well, what what did you have? What was your one note for Fred? I said I had no notes. Oh, you had no for notes for. I thought you said well, you had one note. My mistake. I'll, I'll I'll be a little quick with these since you don't have uh, any notes for them. My my last one for Fred will simply be that his plan at the end to catch the villain is the Buster Keaton wall fall gag. You know, the wall falls and harmlessly someone is standing where the window was and they are unharmed. Were people not using nails in? The olden times to hold the faces of their fucking houses in place? Were we just le- haphazardly leaning houses together? How did they always fall? Were ha- I Keaton? mean, were houses prefabricated in that? Well, I, you know what? We're acting like we have no idea how this happened. They recreated it in Arrested Development beautifully. And Bitch. we did see part of that house fall over. Bitch, I was being sarcastic. It's obviously just a movie stunt and a gag that they could pull off easily. Without killing Buster Keaton. But it's, you know what? It's a valid question of whether this was something that was plaguing the country back in the day. Yeah. As people built their own houses. Mm-hmm. I know there was a period where you could <laughs> buy a, like, suburban house out of a catalog and build it yourself. It was one of the first ways that, that non-white people could own houses in America. Because they guess I could buy it out of a catalog sight unseen. America's got a fucked up history. But the part about houses and catalogs. Your house pretty, came on the back of, like, a tractor trailer. I so absolutely like, grew up in, like, a prefabricated house. Like, a, a mule pulled your house into position. <laughs> There's a, there is a sticker on the side of my childhood home that's, like, wide load. All right, well, just so it's not always me talking here, what what about the girls? What do you <laughs> have down for... <laughs> We're a little late into this podcast for that <laughs> note, really. I'm just trying to balance it, because I know if I jump right to Shaggy and Scooby, uh, it'll just be me again, but... Well, what do you have for them? They did nothing. They... No one ever does anything in this series. I want, well, I want to mention the bit about how their their contracts, which we just saw them sign in the episode earlier this season, dictate that snacks must be provided for when they watch movies. Oh, there's no way that's continuity from an earlier episode and not just a joke about actors screaming about their contracts on set. It is absolutely just an offhand joke about actors' contracts, but I have been nothing if not consistent for holding Scooby-Doo to the line for continuity. So I am I'm looking at those two loose threads and tying them together with a tight-ass ship knot. Could you tie that? I don't see. I don't know why I said a specific knot. I don't even know if a ship knot is a good knot or yet or not. <clears throat> That's a tough sentence. Oh, but uh, but also I wanted to say when they're watching the movie, eating those snacks, having actors act out like watching a movie, watching a comedy, and laughing at it is always so fake. And this really isn't a dig on on Scooby-Doo here. I think the same thing in the Simpsons episode where Bart and Milhouse are watching the original Scratchy film. It's always just so weird to, like, have your main actors be like, (laughs) Oh, oh, don't get them! (laughs) Because, like, it's, it's just a way to keep the actors, like, in that bit. But, you know, in real life, they would just be probably sitting quietly. Well, in Barton Milhouse's defense, they're children. True. So they're well, allowed to laugh uproariously and stupidly at a movie. Right. 
Okay, that's fair. Maybe I shouldn't be judging the children so harshly. <laughs> I, I'm thinking of it just simply from a making a TV show perspective, though. Not, not specifically judging these people. This is me, uh, in, in our own world judging just that trope. That characters watching movies or things trope. And, uh, predictably, when this movie, uh, they see the cut of the movie that is the, uh, the classic Archie film, Archie Barnes film that has been mixed up with quadcopters and robot ninjas and just, you know, uh, cut to shreds by the executives. Shaggy and Scooby love it. Predictably. These, these boys. Are you sure? Oh, you know, hated it. I think Scooby hated it, and I think Shaggy loved it. No, look at them both. Wait, wait, wait. There we go. Yeah, Scooby, Scooby's still looking a little concerned there. But even right now, as we watch the silent film Silver Scream, Sh Shaggy did have his fist up in a bit of a huzzah moment there. <laughs> I'm sure that was his line. Huzzah, this movie is fantastic. The Daphne Dilemma. Uh, her bullshit today is acting as a tour guide when their tour guide abandons them. And she also, I have this note with a question mark, doesn't like scripts. I think she gets inordinately angry that someone felt scripted instead the, of natural. That was the actual tour guide, because the tour guide was giving them this, like, very blasé, like, script, like a Disney Jungle Cruise type of, like, and if you look up there, you'll see that da ba da ba ba. You say tour, like Liam Neeson said, miniature. Tour. <laughs> no, you put way too much tour. emphasis on tour. it. Tour. Yeah, that's where he I, went with it. Is that not how you say that? You say it. <laughs> no, because now I'm just going to quote Liam Neeson saying miniature. <laughs> the tour guide. I'm so conscious of it right now. I mean, you said it fine there, but you didn't say it fine the first time. Okay, um, yeah, but D Daphne was, uh, she was prodding the tour guide to give a little more of, a, of an oomph to it, to, to give the tour that he always wanted to. And it causes this tour guide to go rogue and careen through the lot. Yeah, the tour he always wanted to go on was that he doesn't want to be a tour guide, but capitalism is crushing his soul and making him work a minimum wage job. Because just like in Lego Scooby-Doo Haunted Hollywood, this tour guide thinks the studio has been going downhill for years. And even though we don't see him again, I had an inkling that he might be involved in the mystery. That did not pan out. So it's it's not exactly like Lego Scooby-Doo Haunted Hollywood in that regard. And I, and I did note on here, oh no, she has taken the headset. When I knew exactly where this episode was going to go with her. If you're wondering if I'm going to stop this, no, I am not going to stop this. I'm pretty sure it was a line. That would absolutely make sense as a line. Or at least a fucking tone that she had. The Velma vision? Continues to be the worst Velma I've ever seen, ever. <laughs> She only likes comedy if it's dissectable and programmable and mathematical. So she's all about that slapstick because there's minor physics involved in falling on your ass. Right. Absurdism must go so far over her head, and I bet you it really pisses her off that <laughs> she doesn't understand it. The way that she dissects comedy here and, and really lays it out bare 
I mean, it's, there's an old trope of, you know, the only way to understand a joke is to dissect it, and that kills it. That kills the joke by dissecting it. If you have to explain the joke, it's not a fucking joke. And you can explain, I don't know, you can explain jokes that work, but then as soon as you do, it's like, oh, okay, yeah. Instead of, like, laughing uproariously as you were before. So it's, it's a little... I don't know, and she 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 enjoys being behind the curtain more than just letting that comedy wash over her, and it fe- it feels very in line with with be cool in general because that is like the one uh, pillar of be cool, and that how it is written as a comedy is very much in that um, structured so- sort of like Velma dissecting it and twisting it sort of way, where I think that's where we bristle a lot of the time. Where it's like, oh, you. You broke that joke. In telling that joke, you broke that joke. Why didn't you just tell that joke? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, and there's even a moment when uh, Velma, like, goes off on, uh, you know, oh, no, I I think it was Daphne is actually saying, saying something about, like, mathematical precision and dissecting it and things like that. And and Velma just goes, "Is, is that a joke? I think. And Daphne has to say, do you think it's a joke? And she just pointed, she stared at the screen and pointed at us for a solid minute. Now, Velma really likes silent era slapstick. She's a big fan of the dude who's haunting them. Because of all the, like, dissectable shit you can do with slapstick and Buster Keaton. Oh, look, he had to stand right there and then they triangulated stunts around him, blah, blah, blah. At one point, she says, look, it's just ripping off Isaac Newton's first and third principles. Please, please just fucking die, Velma. I want you to die. I want you to get hit by a car and shot in the face and burned in a ditch. I hate her. I hate her. I hate her. I will never like any Velma going forward because this Velma's ruined them. I don't know what to say to that. That's, that's... Good. Because it's not a fucking joke anymore. I'm so fucking tired of this, Velma. How am I supposed to relate to her? She's a fucking sociopath. How do you empathize with a sociopath? They're not giving the empathy moments. And when they are, there's so so much going in the other direction that you can't... You can't just reach a hand down. There's so much weight to pull up. It's not even fun to point and laugh and be like, haha, Velma's wrong. Because that's probably what they were going for. They probably wanted you to look at Velma and be like, shut up, Velma, but in like a <laughs> playful way. Which is impossible to do. By the later seasons of Community, when they were doing that to Britta, that's unwatchable. And Community is a much better written show than this is. So if they fuck up playfully telling a character to shut up, what hope do they have? Well, one part of the episode that's sort of inconsistent going forward has has been the minor mentions. What do you think of the minor mentions that we have here? Uh, s- starting off, I wrote down the first one as the disappointed tour guide. Uh, I wrote down editor. This guy, the fat one. I, n- I never know whether to write down the cold open characters or not, because I don't know if they're going to come back. But he did, so I guess we can start with him. He's editing... He argues with a cardboard cutout. He's on a mutual break from Laura. Like, 
I don't know. He's gone very... jokes? He's gone very mad in this editing bay. He definitely needs to leave. The fight that he has with the cardboard cutout and his later tying up of that cardboard cutout is disturbing, to say the least. What's he gonna do to Laura when he goes home? Well, she's not, she's not there. And you know what? Based on this, it might just be a cardboard cutout of Laura Linney. Uh, the, the tour guide is disappointed with the studio ever since the silent film star quit. Uh, maybe let that grudge go. <laughs> it's been a long time since the silent... Maybe it's been a long time since the silent era. Maybe this is supposed to be set somewhere else, but I don't think so. I think it's modern day. I was thinking, you know, we did go back in time once with the holiday episode, but that would be really weird if we were going back in time again here and they just didn't mention it. How do you feel about the movie director, Lori Logan? That's just gray, again, because there's one female on all of Earth and we've hired her to play every female character and be cool. Visually, I think she is uh, one of the more distinctive visual models that we've gotten in a while. Do I have anything to say about her? <laughs> I don't really know if I do or not. I'd like to say that this is the... at least the third time that I can name off the top of my head where the WB uh, loves making their animated shit full of prominent female directors. Mm -hmm. Like, I wish I could insert that John Travolta looking around gif into this audio medium because that's what it's like to see this over and over again. Yeah. The joke is that they don't hire women. <laughs> Fucking hilarious. And then when they do hire a woman to direct, she starts dressing up as the ghost of a star and, and look at this crazy woman who can't just take director's notes. Well, how, how did you feel about Ray Fletcher then? I don't know. I'm sick of the trope that movie studios get passed down through families, too. Yeah, that doesn't quite happen that I know of. As soon as the founder dies, it goes to some random CEO. The this is another oddly specific cartoon trope where it's always families that run movie studios. Here, Fletcher's dad established the studio in The Simpsons. What's his name? Yeah, oh my god, referencing the same episode, absolutely. Ray um, Myers Jr. or some shit? Yeah. Uh, which I think brings us to our villain, the ghost of Archie Barnes, silent film star. Uh, I do like that as a silent film ghost, he appears with, like, scratches and flickers and sort of the texture of film. But I think this is something that is way more impressive when it appears in, like, a live-action ghost story than an animated one. Like, there was a little bit of, like, a difference in that, uh... In, in, like, adding grain and stuff when he was there. But, I don't know, in a live-action one, just showing those different camera qualities, it, it has a bit of an analog feel, and I, I just always love it there. And here, I could see what they were going for, but it, it just wasn't quite jiving with me. It's not explained anywhere in-universe of, of why she, it's flickering. I mean, I always thought, I thought here at least... That uh, because he was so associated with his films, he took on the appearance of what he was remembered in. When when he blinks out of existence a couple of times, yeah, like like film skipping on a reel, yeah, it's never explained in universe no. that she always had a hologram pointed at her. This series goes out of its fucking way to explain everything to death when it comes to the villains and how their costumes work. 
And then this one, we only get that it's a person in a black and white mask. Mm, so this true. Is, how, do, how does that actually happen? This I see. is an animation flare for the episode. It's not a ghost flare. So it's worthless. That, that is a very good point. I didn't actually think about the, um... Yeah, I the, how the villain was, was you pulled You tried off. to interrupt me like seven times well, because I was speaking. because I misunderstood what you were saying. And maybe if I hadn't interrupted you, I, I would have actually. The master criminal plan is that this is actually Lori Logan, the director. Uh, Ray Fletcher is giving so many notes that it is actually going to ruin this film. Uh, and so she, like the original Archie Barnes, wants this film never to be released. Uh, and she is dressing up at him and trying to spook everyone into stopping making it. Artistic integrity from beyond the grave. Yeah, well, Master Criminal Plan doesn't want this bad movie to ruin her career. And as far as feasibility goes, she's a female director, so she's got a huge concern about one bad movie ruining her career. But she's also got the concern that a good movie will ruin her career. You cannot win as a female director. She's either going to make a bad movie and is never hired again, or she's going to win a fucking Oscar and never be hired again. Look at what happened to the director of Monster. She was gone for, like, what, 10, 15 years yeah. out of being able to direct anything? Le Lexi Alexander made Punisher Warzone, which is a fucking amazing film. Uh, com completely, like, hire Lexi Alexander. She fucking rules. But... <laughs> Uh, the point is, the master criminal plan is going to fail either way, because women cannot win. She, yeah, there's there's no winning for her to have a career. That's sad. Uh, but it's it's this terrible world we live in. Is the villain scary? No, because the flickering wasn't explained, so it wasn't happening in real life. In real life, being the Scooby Doo Be Cool universe, they were not seeing that ghost flicker. Only we were as the audience. It's just a white dude in a bowler hat with a mustache. It's like a one. Uh, I will accept the flicker as being part of the ghost, even though they didn't explain it, because it, wa it was happening in front of me and to my eyes. Um, but he didn't uh, really do much outside of just, like, existing. And I, th I think on my scale, I will give the ghost of Archie Barnes a six. Oh my fucking god. A six is, is a, a C or a D. Uh, any general thoughts or feelings on this episode? Uh, no. Uh, we do get a joke where the gang are driving towards a cliff, but it's just a matte painting. That's a joke you can only do in animation. Uh, and I will say that the chase scene, the chase scene, I don't know why they didn't go whole hog and actually make it like black and white and flickering and use old timey piano music. If you're, this episode needed to go whole hog on that and actually give me a silent film chase scene. Give me the Keystone Cops. So that, that was a big, a big disappointment for me. We got at one point a little bit of that and we got a, uh, like a, a title card coming up for the, ah! But I wanted a bigger actual silent film styled chase scene. Also, oh my god, the scene of silent film star Archie Barnes doing Fortnite dances. Uncomfortable, <laughs> purposefully so. But let's wrap up. Well, what are you, what is your verdict for this episode? Scooby, don't. I'm so done with this series. We've still got like ten fucking episodes to go. 
Uh, I will just give this one a Scooby maybe. Um, because I, I think it's, it was pretty middle of the road for me. I liked seeing the struggles of a female director in today's modern Hollywood. But as, as you off. point out, there is <laughs> Like that exists at all. Yeah, it's really just that they cast a woman in that role. And they just, no, they didn't even cast anyone in that role. They just asked Grey if she could do a few extra lines this episode. <laughs> Coming up next is Fright of Hand. I assume some sort of Manos Hands of Fate ritual spoof. Or please, please don't be that. If you're a Manos Hands of Fate spoof, Amelia will do you no favors. And on that note... That's it from Scooby-Dooby-Us. To Scooby-Dooby-You. Twelve episodes we have left. So fucking done with this series. <laughs> <laughs>